Well, it is an honor to uh, get to speak here again. The last time I spoke, Pastor Kyle said, was three or four years ago. The church had about 500 members at the time, and halfway through my sermon, it was about 10 people that were left, so hope you guys will hang out for a while. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for the power that it has in our lives. Thank you, God, that we have the honor of getting to serve you and follow you. And Father, I, I pray for your blessing upon this church, upon each person, each family here today. God, that the year ahead would be a year of, of incredible things as they seek to follow you and honor you and make a difference in this community. Father, I pray that, that Hope Fellowship would see many people come to faith in Christ this year. I pray, Father, that they would see many people grow in their faith this year. I pray that, uh, God, that you just do incredible things. We know, God, that, that when we join you, it's us joining your mission, not coming to you with our mission. And so, Father, I pray that you would use uh, this church to be on mission with you, to make a huge difference for your kingdom purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. So how many of you were irritated by someone this holiday season? Could have been Thanksgiving, Christmas. Anybody irritated by someone? Don't point at them if they're here. But uh, yeah, holiday season, it seems like, you know, it's easy to be irritated by people anytime. But during the holidays, it seems like it's especially easy to be irritated by people. How, how many of you had a family member who irritated you over the holidays? Okay, that's really scary since all my grandkids and... <laughs> Pastor Kyle and Jennifer raised their hands because it's very likely to be me as the one that, that did that. So, you know, holidays and families ought to be a wonderful time, but it's very easy as soon as you get in the car leaving the event to start talking about someone who just irritated you. We, we've got somebody in our family, he's not a bad guy at all, but you literally, like Christmas Eve, he walks in and you say, hi, change his name to protect the guilty. Uh, hi, Bob. And Bob just doesn't even look at you. Bob doesn't say hello back. We once drove two hours to go to his first child's first birthday. Birthday party, one-year-old. We drove two hours, and either he or his wife spoke to us the entire time. Like, we walk in, hi, Bob, hi, Susie. Not a word. Bye, not a word. I just want to slap people like that. I don't know about you, but it's easy to be irritated by family members at the holidays. It's easy to be irritated when you're in the store. You know, I don't know about this area, but um, I made one last stop at Walmart because something I ordered online for Valerie's mom, they said they had it. I went to do the pickup and they didn't have it. And it was important. So I went to another Walmart. It took me 45 minutes to walk in the store. They didn't have any carts. And this is a super Walmart. This is like a giant place. Not a single cart. So I stood in line with a bunch of other people waiting for carts. Like we're beggars. Oh, here comes one. Here comes one. And it took like 45 minutes. And by the time I got up to the cashier, I wanted to attack the cashier. But guess what? It wasn't the cashier's fault at all that the store was crowded. It wasn't her fault that they didn't have things that they're website said they had. People can irritate you when you're driving. I hated it. Last year our church came out with these stickers with the name of the church, Fresh Start Church sticker. 
I didn't want to put it on my car because I knew once I did that, when somebody made me mad in traffic, I'd have to be like nice to them. I couldn't, I couldn't scream at them or shout or honk the horn. And, and I knew when I was trying to find a parking space at a store that I could no longer scream at the top of my lungs, what, will you just go get parked already? We have people that come to Florida from all over the country, but especially New Yorkers like to come to Florida. We used to have a bumper sticker that says, if you love New York, take I-95 North, because we just wanted them to go back, back home. Um, and New Yorkers, especially the older New Yorkers, I can be in Walmart and I'm like wanting to turn down one of the lanes to, to park my car and they see someone in an electric scooter coming out of the store, so they just stop and block traffic completely. You can't park, you can't go. They just want to see where's that person going to go. I'll get their parking space. This just two weeks ago, I was waiting behind somebody from New York for them to go, just go somewhere, park somewhere. I was there three and a half days to get a parking spot. It was really bad. It was really bad. Evangeline, I told you to laugh at my jokes. Don't forget. Okay. Oh, now she roars. Now she roars. So what if those relatives that irritate you the most, that cashier that irritates you, that fast food worker that irritates you, that person in a car in a parking lot that irritates you, what if God's putting those people there on purpose? What if the very people that irritate us the most are the very people that God wants us to reach, that God wants us to make a difference in their lives. I don't like that idea, but I believe that it's probably very, very true. So this morning we're going to talk about how to, how to live your life on mission for God. In our discussion, Gene asked the question, why don't we see more fruit from Christians? And I think most Christians think, okay, I've accepted Christ, okay. I pray, good. I go to church, good. But they never see themselves as being on a mission. They never see themselves as having a very specific purpose from the God who created them. We looked a few minutes ago in our discussion about Proverbs 30, 11, verse 30. The seeds of good deeds become a tree of life. And a wise person wins friends. Our good deeds don't save us. It doesn't matter how many good deeds we do, they don't save us. I can't tell you the people that have heard that, and yet they still think, I've got to do something. My friend Larry was, uh, was a helicopter pilot in Vietnam. And he would tell me the terrible things they did that were not part of the war. It was just terrible things they did to innocent people. And he had so much guilt. And, and he was a general contractor. So any time we needed something fixed at the church, you could call Larry. Larry would be there. And Larry would say things like, you know, he's fixing something, he's building something. And he would say things like, well, I just hope maybe this thing I'm doing will be enough to just barely get me across the finish line into heaven. And I'd say, Larry, this won't do it. It's already been done. The work has already been done. You just have to receive it, rest in it. Nothing you can do can earn you favor with God. Nothing you can do can earn the gift of eternal life. It is a gift solely. So our, our good deeds don't save us, but our good deeds show that we're saved. 
If we truly recognize what Jesus has done for us, we will spend our lives thanking him. Jerry Bridges uh, said that our lives should be a living thank you note. If you've ever written a thank you note to somebody for something, he said our lives should be a living thank you note to God for saving us. The seeds of good deeds become a tree of life. A wise person wins friends. So the question is, are you planting seeds? Because it doesn't happen accidentally. Planting seeds is something we have to say, I've got some seeds and I'm going to plant them. I've got the gospel in my life. I've got what God has done and is doing in my life. And I want to plant this. I want to plant the seeds of the gospel in other people's lives. It has to be intentional. My friend Jim, he doesn't go to my church, although he texted me this morning to ask if we were meeting, so I'm guessing his church wasn't meeting today, and, uh, and we always meet, so he, so he was going to come. But years ago, my friend Jim was with an organization called Amway. Anybody remember Amway? I think it was probably the first like network marketing business. And Jim told me, he worked at the Space Center, and Jim said, I get up an hour earlier than I need to. Before I go to work, I stop at a diner and I sit at the counter so that I'll sit next to someone so that I can start a relationship with them for the purpose of introducing them to Amway. And I thought, what if we did that for the purpose of planting seeds of the gospel? What if we said, I'm going to find ways of hanging out with people so that I can begin to build a relationship with them so that I can plant seeds of the gospel? You know, there's some easy ways to do that. If you go uh, to Walmart or a convenience store, go to the same cashier. If you're in a grocery store, go to the same cashier every time. Look and see where they are and go there and talk to them. What do most people say to cashiers? Man, stuff's expensive. I can't believe... Usually they just get berated all day long. So if someone actually is nice to them, someone is actually kind to them, somebody actually notices what their name is and then calls them by name, it's a great way to begin to build a relationship. If you go to in, inside a bank, go to the same teller or go to the same officer of the bank. When I walk into to our bank, I know Dennis is the vice president. If I need something, I'll go talk to Dennis. Dennis plays bass guitar in a country band. He's a Christian. He's building a house near our church. He lives in a different part of town now. And he said, as soon as I build my house, I'm going to come visit your church. Why? Because every time I go in, I say, hey, Dennis, how are you doing? I'm building a relationship with Dennis. If I need something just at the teller window, I go up and talk to Penny. I don't know. There's other ones there, but I can look and say, hi, Penny, how are you? And people just light up when they realize somebody knows my name. Somebody cares about me. When I went in the dry cleaners a, a, a while back, I walked in, and the lady, she always mispronounces my name. It's Cattle, but she says Cattle, and I don't care. So she says... Hi, Mr. Cattle, how are you feeling today? And the reason she asked how I was feeling is, the week before, when I went there to drop some things off, she said, how are you doing? And I said, well, I just finished 38 days of radiation and I'm exhausted. And she said, I'll pray for you. And I said, thank you. And so she asks by name. I, they probably have thousands of customers, but because I'm nice to her and I talk to her, We've begun a relationship. Every time I get arrested, I get arrested. I'm resting on the 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 resting on the
You don't need to raise your hand, but how many of you can walk in duck through to get gas or get whatever you need and say, hi, Susan, hi, Joe, hi, whatever their names are? What a simple way to begin a relationship. How many of you know the names of the person that works at Dollar General? There's usually only one. That's why the lines are so long. I used to know a lady named Janice worked there, and we'd be up here a couple times a year, but every time i say, hi, Janice, how are you doing? Good. I'm kind of tired because I'm also working at the other grocery store down the road here. And what, what a great way to just begin a relationship that allows you to plant seeds of the gospel. The first time we came up here, when Jennifer and Kyle moved up from, from Tampa, first time we were up here, she and I went, I think it was a Sunday after, after church maybe, we went in Dollar General together, and Cadence was there with his grandmother. And Cadence went home and said to, to his grandmother, Miss Jen was in the store with another man. <laughs> so I, I like Dollar General. Lots of things get said about you if you go to Dollar General. But guess what? Those people aren't paid enough. They're not appreciated. Most people working in any type of business aren't appreciated. And they get abused, typically, by customers, clients, or patients. And so when you not only don't abuse them, but you're nice to them, it's the beginning of the opportunity to plant seeds. We were in the mountains of North Carolina back in October, and I went in a Dollar General, and I walked in the store, and the young woman said, is there anything I can help you find? And I about fell over, because usually... The, you can't find someone to help you find something. And when I checked out, I told her, I said, you know, I've been in Dollar Generals all over this country. You're the first person that's ever said, can I help you find something? I said, you're awesome. She just lit up because I'm guessing that the 500 other people that day didn't say, you're awesome, and I think you're doing a great job. It's a great way to begin a relationship. Seeds of good deeds become a, light, a tree of life. A wise person wins Friends, I love the ESV translation of this verse. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. See, righteous fruit, uh, righteous life bears fruit, and the, the, the scripture says this fruit builds this tree of life. What is a tree good for? It gives people shade. When people are out in the heat, it's a place they can come and they can rest in the shade. It gives them sustenance. The same thing is true spiritually. We are surrounded by people who need a place of rest, who need a place where they can be accepted, who need a place where they can eat, they can be fed. They may not even know they need to be fed the gospel, but we know that's the only thing that can really change their life. When you think about the people in your life who have fed you, we talked about this, you know, how do you feel towards them? Man, I look back, when it's, when it's Pastor Appreciation Month, October, official announcement, October of every year is Pastor Appreciation Month. All over the country. Appreciate your pastor. You don't have to wait till October, but appreciate your pastor. I've actually known pastors that have faked it. They've pretended like they had cards from people, and they got up and read them in front of the church so everybody would know it was Pastor Appreciation Month, and hopefully say, I appreciate you. Hopefully say something. But every October, I go on social media, and I say it's Pastor Appreciation Month, and I list pastors that have made a difference in my life. 
Some of them I know. Some of them were my pastor of the church I was part of. Some of them I've never met. They're, you know, heads of large ministries, but they've made a difference in my life. And I just let people know that they've made a difference. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and whoever captures souls is wise. I never liked the term soul winner. I always thought that was like very fleshly. I have to win souls. I'm a real soul winner. That guy's a real soul winner. I never liked that term because it just sounded like we had a lot to do with it versus God having to do with it. But this is what scripture is talking about. It's talking about us winning friends. It's talking about us winning souls, winning people into the kingdom of God. October, Valerie and I celebrated the 49th anniversary of our first date. I won her over on the first date. I leaned in for a kiss and I bit her on the nose. (laughs) And it was intentional. I have no earthly idea why I did that. But I won her over. She'd been out on dates before. She was 15 at the time, but she had you know, been out with some guys. She'd gone to the movies with some guys. Nobody had bit her nose until me. I just wanted to do something that she would never forget. But I won her heart. I don't know how. I don't know why. But I won her heart. She actually went out with me again. And so we dated for a couple, couple years. But that word win is used in romance a lot. He won her heart. She won his heart. To win souls, you've got to love them. Do you love lost people? Do you love people who are different than you? We use the word win in war. Well, to win souls is a battle because there's an enemy, there's a devil who seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. And so he wants to do everything to stop you from winning someone uh, into the kingdom of God. He doesn't want to let loose of anybody. And eternity is real. Heaven's real. Hell is real. And the devil wants everybody to join him in the lake of fire. And so it's a battle for every soul on this planet. We also use the word win in sports. To win souls is a competition. There's a lot of things competing for people's attention. Where we live, we used to have to drive past a flea market to get to church. And you know what? There were more people at that flea market on Sunday mornings than all but one. We have one megachurch in our town with about 8,000 members. But other than that, you will not find a church parking lot with as many people in it as the flea market. We have a chain of grocery stores in Florida that based out of Florida called Publix, and they're awesome stores, and they, they typically own the shopping plazas that they're in, and they won't allow a church to lease space in any shopping plaza that they're in, not because they hate God or hate churches, but because Sunday morning is their busiest shopping time of the week, and they know there's not enough parking spaces for their customers, and if a church brings in 20 cars or 50 cars or 100 cars. It's a competition. Everybody we talk to is being distracted by all kinds of things in the world. There's all kinds of reasons why people don't come to church. And so winning someone's soul is a competition with hundreds of other things. Proverbs 18.2 says, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. We were in pro-life ministry back in the late 1980s and 90s. And I'll be honest with you, when I became a pastor, I didn't like lost people. 
I didn't like, I shared this with a lady in our church recently, and she just cracked up. She says, a pastor who didn't like lost people? I said, no, I didn't like them. You know why? They were the enemy. It was lost people that, that, that threatened to kill us, that threatened to kill Jennifer and our son Brent and my wife Valerie. It was lost people that would hang out in the woods after they'd gone to the uh, ammo store to get armor-piercing bullets, and they hung out in the woods across the street from our house to try to kill us. It was lost people that, had, that, that were witches and Wiccans and Satanists, and they would try to cast spells on us. It was lost people that were trying to drag women into the abortion clinics while we're trying to offer them help and alternatives and assistance. I didn't like lost people. And man, God had to change my heart. He had to change my heart completely, completely. And part of it was I didn't understand them, and I didn't want to. I didn't try to understand them. I just viewed them as the enemy, and that's why God had to change my heart. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding. I was foolish. I had no interest in understanding them at all, no interest. Instead of looking at people who dress differently, look differently, listen to different music, have different social views or different political views as the enemy. What if we looked at them as people God wants to reach and maybe he wants to use you and me to reach them? That's hard because I'd rather just call them the enemy. That's easier. That's easier. We have two teenage girls in our church that come in and they've got quite a few piercings and they, from week to week you don't know what color their hair is going to be. And do and you know what they do when they walk into our church and before they leave our church? They come up and hug me. Because I've shown them that I love them, that I don't care what color their hair is. I don't care how many holes they get poked in their head. I don't make fun of them. I love them. We got to, to baptize one of them just a month or two ago. And this is hard stuff. Because if you're like me, I am very judgmental. My heart is very judgmental, very critical. Right before Thanksgiving, we found out that our niece, uh, it, her parents had discovered that she now says she's agnostic and she was raised in church and that she's a lesbian and she was living with her girlfriend. And all of a sudden, the whole family's like, okay, how does this affect Thanksgiving when we all get together? And some of the family members said, we're not going. If she's going to be there, we're not going to be there. And people were really wrestling with this because they didn't want to appear to endorse or approve of something. And so I literally wrote like a two-page paper of scripture and said, look, how are we going to be salt and light if we're not around anyone who needs salt and light? How are we going to change someone's heart if we're not willing to be around them? It ended up she got her, her, her friend got COVID and they couldn't come anyway. But that night, Thanksgiving night, I messaged her, and we never messaged. I messaged her and said, we missed you today. Because guess what? She knows what all of us believe. She knows where all of us stand. And she did come for Christmas. And I made a point before we left Christmas Eve. I went over and hugged her and said, I'm glad you're here. She knows absolutely. She used to be a member of my church. She knows absolutely what I believe. And she was expecting everyone to hate her and everyone to drive her away. And while I don't agree with anything that she's doing, I'm going to keep loving her, and I'm going to keep looking for opportunity to plant seeds in her heart. I'm a patriot. 
I love our country. I care about the future of our country. And we're more divided politically, racially, philosophically, spiritually than we've ever been before. But something that concerns me through all this is a lot of my really conservative friends, and I'm probably more conservative than anybody you could meet, but so many of my conservative friends seem far more concerned about saving America than Americans. They seem far more concerned about their political view versus the gospel view. And so instead of saying, how do we win these people over? How do we, how do we pray for revival to our country? They're just making us more and more divided. See, I don't think it's about winning an argument. I think it's about winning a relationship, building a relationship and winning someone's soul for Christ. I believe in being politically active. I've lobbied City Hall in our town. I've spoken to the Florida State Legislature. I've met two governors of Florida. I've led groups to Washington, D.C. to lobby. We've, we've met U.S. Senators, U.S. Congressmen. I told Kyle the third time I told him, but he pretended like he hadn't heard it before, that, that one of the times we, we led a group and, to Washington, they were about to uh, pass a bill that said it would be a federal crime if you, if you sat down or trespassed on the property of an abortion clinic. It was about to be a federal crime. And so I said, Congressman Backus, you know, we're here with retired sheriff deputy. We're here with retired veterans. We're here with people, your, your constituents. And we're here to say that shouldn't be a federal crime. Please don't support this. And we talked to him logically. Everybody shared their position. And it was, nope, that's what's going to happen. And I said, Congressman, right outside your window, every Thursday afternoon, the mayor of Washington, D.C., celebrities, other politicians, go sit down in the middle of the street and block traffic because they're trying to uh, draw attention to their cause, which was for Washington, D.C., to become a state. I said, they get arrested and they get a $50 ticket. But if we do the same thing in front of an abortion clinic, you want it to be a federal crime? And he said, yes. Well, then I started sharing scripture with him. He got up from his desk, he came around to the front, and he started poking me in the chest. And he said, don't you share scripture with me. I'm a Christian. It's tragic. So I've been politically active. I'm named on a, on a suit that they still study in, in law school. Uh, pretty much nationwide. I was named on a suit that went all the way to the Supreme Court. I spoke to Justice Harry Blackman, who authored the position that made Roe versus Wade the law of the land in 1973. So I'm not against all that. But the only solution to America's problems is Jesus. The only solution. It's not this party or that party or conservatives. Or, the only solution is Jesus. And so we've got to make sure that we spend more time telling people about Jesus than promoting our political views. Because ultimately, Jesus is the only, only answer. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6 says, I planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the growth. So neither is he who plants nor he who waters anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. Each will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers. How cool is it that we get to be God's fellow 
workers. We get to be a part of something. Joe was just telling me about his son and, and who he's playing with it. He had to leave right after Christmas to go join the Passion Tour with Chris Tomlin. How cool is that? We've loved Chris Tomlin for years. Jennifer met him standing in line years ago at a concert in Lakeland. She looked down and there was this really short guy beside her and, and, and she got to talk with Chris Tomlin. How cool is Chris Tomlin? What wonderful worship songs he's written. How many people have been changed because he has ushered us into the presence of God through the songs that he's written. How cool to be on stage with Chris Tomlin. He's one of his fellow workers. Yeah, Chris is the, the, the one that's known, but Corey? Right, Corey? Corey Pierce is a fellow worker with Chris Tomlin. How cool is that? How cool is that? Well, guess what's even cooler? You and I get to be fellow workers with God. What? It says it right here. We get to be God's fellow workers. We either plant seeds or we water seeds or we do both. God is the one in charge. God is the one. We might plant seeds. Nothing ever happens. We might water some seeds, nothing ever happens. It's all up to God. It's not on us. Don't ever feel guilty if somebody doesn't receive those seeds, if somebody rejects you. Don't feel guilty they rejected Jesus and they rejected his followers. Don't feel guilty. Our job is just to be a fellow worker with God. And I don't know about you, but I love the idea that I get to partner with God himself. Because guess what? When I come up with my own ideas, they fail. When I come up with my own plans, they fail. This is God's plan. His plan is for you and I to join him on mission, to plant seeds of the gospel, to water seeds of the gospel. It doesn't matter how old you are. Karis, you can do this. Eden, you can do this. You get to plant seeds and water seeds. Plant seeds and water seeds. And when you think of the person that planted a gospel seed in your life. What do you think of them right now? I loved in our discussion, Hunter said he was working in a, you've got to get Hunter to help you with some of those animals. He worked in a, 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 in a butcher shop. He was a butcher cutting meat. And somebody would come in there and purposely go up and talk to Hunter about the gospel. They would purposely go plant seeds of the gospel in Hunter's life. And over and over, when they'd go in that store, they'd look for Hunter, just like I was talking about earlier. They'd look for Hunter, and they'd plant seeds in his life. And those seeds took root, and somebody watered them. And Hunter said he got to see those people years later and say, Hey, I just want you to know, here's what happened. You kept talking to me, I received Christ, my life's been changed, and now I'm following him. How did that make that person feel? See, we're afraid of people are going to reject us. We're afraid people won't like us. We're afraid people won't, oh, my classmates, they'll make fun of me. Who cares? You get to be on mission with God. Hunter wouldn't be here outside of God's providence. Hunter wouldn't be sitting here. He wouldn't be a leader in this church if that person hadn't walked into that grocery store and made an intentional path to Hunter's place in the store and planted seeds in his life. Plant seeds, water seeds. Let God handle the results, but plant seeds and water seeds. And it can start right here. Don't assume that the people sitting next to you in church have already received the gospel. There are people in churches all over America today. Some of them are leaders in churches that have never received the gospel. I know pastors who once they got saved said, I was a pastor and I wasn't 
saved. I was an elder in a church and I wasn't saved and I didn't even know it until I really heard the gospel. My family went to church every time the doors were open. It was a dead liberal church. The gospel wasn't preached. I was 11 years old when a guest speaker came and he explained the gospel. And he explained that we weren't just Christians because we went to church or because our parents went to church. That we had to make a decision to turn from our sin, ask Jesus to forgive us, and receive him as our Savior. And I got saved that night. You know why? Somebody explained the gospel to me. Now sadly, there was nobody to water because I stayed in the same place. Don't assume the people sitting with you just because they're active in church, don't assume that they've received Christ. Ask them. Try to plant seeds. If they've received Christ, then water them. If you're one step further ahead of them, then water them. You don't have to know it all. You don't have to have studied Scripture so much that you can explain, answer every question. Just water the seeds of the person next to you. We were at a pro-life event out in Louisiana, and there was a scary-looking guy on the on the abortion clinic side, and they, they had put a fence down the middle of the road, literally right down the middle of the road, to, to block off this abortion clinic. So this guy's on one side, we're on the other side singing and worshiping, and, and this guy was like, he did whatever people used to do to make their skin go really pale white, and then he dyed his hair jet black, and he had black fingernails and these giant combat boots. He was just a scary looking dude. Somebody on our side of the fence planted seeds of the gospel, and that day he received them. That day he gave his life to Christ. And the next day he was on our side of the fence, and he was talking to the people on the other side, and he said this. He said, I haven't been this, at this very long. All I can tell you is what God's done for me. 24 hours. 24 hours. Don't assume that anyone is too far gone. Don't assume that anyone is not interested. Plant seeds, plant seeds, and look around this room and say, who can I water? Who can I encourage? Who can I come alongside of? And teach your kids to do the same thing. Teach them to do the same thing. Here's what most people do. Here's the mistake most people make when they're planting seeds. The year that was our 25th anniversary, I was... I was uh, working for a company where I traveled around the state and I wanted to buy Valerie a special ring. I wasn't able to give her a diamond when we got married. It was 10 years later before I could give her a diamond ring. Now it's our 25th and I wanted to get one of those rings that had three diamonds on it. One was supposed to be past and present and future. And so I would drive in all around the state. I'd be by a mall or I'd see a jewelry store. I'd go in and say, I want to buy my wife a ring. They would show me rings. And do you know what not one person at any store did? Not one of them said, would you like to buy it? Now, we're always afraid of pushy salespeople, right? This was the opposite. Not one of them said, I said, oh, that one's nice. Okay, I can afford that. Not one of them said, would you like to take this one? Would you like me to wrap that up for you? Would you like me to? Not one person asked me to buy. And I was like, I'm here to buy a ring. So the biggest mistake that I've seen Christians make is they'll plant seeds, but they don't ever ask somebody, they don't try to close the deal. They don't say, would you like to receive Jesus as your Savior? A man in the first church that I worked at, his name was Clay Turk. And Clay went to church, Clay gave his tithe, Clay was active, he helped, he did whatever was needed. 
but he had never received Christ. And he told me, he said, you know what made a difference? I said, what? He said, this guest speaker came in and he asked, is there any good reason why you don't want to receive Jesus today? And Clay thought about it and he thought, no. And that day, he put his faith in Christ. That day. Plant seeds, water seeds. Plant seeds, water seeds. Don't be afraid to invite people to come to church. Don't be afraid to invite people to come to faith in Christ. How many of you have watched The Chosen? Any of the episodes of The Chosen? I think they just came out with season three. So Yashi Baragas is the actor who played the disciple Philip. And he was on a hike one day outside of Los Angeles, and he took a book with him, and he just found a tree, and he sat down at this tree in the shade of this tree, and he's reading his book. And he heard a bunch of giggling and a bunch of noise nearby. You could tell there were people close by, and then that kind of died down. And then from a little distance, he saw a, a, another young man that was hiking. And this young man said, what are you reading? And Yashi said, oh, here's the book I'm reading, you know, trying to figure out life. And I said, yeah, life can be really hard. And they, and they started talking about life, and they started talking about the difficulties they'd been through, and they started back talking about the challenges. And Yashi said, come on over and have a seat. And as the guy got closer, Yashi recognized him. But this young guy sat down next to him, and they began talking back and forth, talking about life, talking about faith. And this young man interrupted Yashi, and he said, you know, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I really feel in my bones I'm meant to introduce you to my church. Would you come? If you don't like it, we'll walk out immediately. If you like it, we'll stay. But if you don't like it, we'll just head right for the door and we'll go hang out together and, and do something together. And Yashi said he, he had no interest in church ever in his life, not one shred of interest in the Bible or church. But he said to Justin Bieber, how could I say no? To you. You're Justin Bieber. And so Justin took him to his church. And for six months, he continued attending and then was offered a part in this new thing called The Chosen. He said, I never would have taken that part if it wasn't for the seeds of the gospel that were being planted in my life and this interest in real faith. And the cool thing is, Justin went through. The work, his mother was a Christian, single mom, tried to raise him in the church, and then he rebelled like most teenagers do and, and headed off. And obviously, we've all seen uh, wrong directions. And then when he returned to Christ, he got plugged into a church in New York. And we have a great video from YouTube of his pastor, uh, Carl Lentz, was you know, just talking to him about faith and, and discipleship and just pouring into his life. And then his pastor commits adultery with ladies in the church and the whole thing falls apart and the church falls apart. And Justin could very easily have said, that's exactly what I thought. That's why I didn't go to church for all the years. Instead, he just found another church out in L.A. And he's active and his wife is active. And he's reaching out to, he's people, reaching out to people that wouldn't say yes to, wouldn't say yes to anybody else. He's planting seeds and he's watering them. Planting seeds and watering them. I saw a great video last week. And it showed this family standing out in front of their house. They were going to take a picture of themselves. And their neighbor's out washing his car. And he said, what are you guys all dressed up for? And they said, oh, we just got home from church. It was Easter Sunday, so we just got home from church. He goes, oh. He says, you want me to help you with a picture? They said, oh, yeah. So he came over, he got the camera, take a picture. He goes, so, so what was the sermon about? 
They're like, what? What did your pastor talk about? Well, he talked about how Jesus came to earth to save us, how he went to the cross to pay for our sins, and he rose from the dead so that we could have eternal life. That's how we can have power and peace in our life, purpose in our life. And the guy goes, so you didn't think that was important enough to invite my wife and I? I'm like, wow, wow, wow. And I'm going to show that at my church the week before Easter. Wow, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about people that you may have assumed aren't interested. I love Jean said that her brother said, I'm an atheist, I don't want to hear about this. So she sends him Christmas cards with the gospel. Just continue to reach out. We don't know what day is somebody's day for God to grab hold of them and turn them completely around. If you've ever seen the movie Schindler's List, it was about Oscar Schindler, a real guy who gave his life to trying to rescue Jews from the Holocaust. And he did everything he could. He sold everything he had. He liquidated everything to have enough money. Okay, with this much money, I can help rescue this many more people from death. And he did this incredible job and saved lots and lots of people's lives. But at the end, he's looking and he's saying, I could have done more. I should have done, I could have sold my watch. That might have bought one more person's life. I could have done this or I could have done that. And and he's looking back with regret. Instead of celebrating what he did, he's looking back with regret. Guys, I don't want to look back with regret and I don't want you to look back with regret thinking, I never spoke to that person about Jesus. I never invited that person to church. I never shared my story with that person. There they are. And I should have spoken. I should have done something. Join God on his mission. You will never look back and regret it. You will never say, I wish I hadn't joined God. I wish I hadn't been a fellow worker with God. I wish I hadn't shared the good news about Jesus with people. I wish I hadn't watered people's face so that they could be discipled and grow. You will never regret that. Let's pray. Father, it blows my mind that we get to be your fellow workers, that we get to serve with you, that we get to be part of your eternal plan. God, you don't need us. You can save anyone you want to save. But God, I thank you that we get to be part, just as other people were part of our faith story. Other people planted seeds of the gospel in our hearts. Other people have watered those seeds, have discipled us. God, would you give us a desire to love people that are lost? Would you give us a desire, Father, not to compromise, not to lower the bar, not to compromise our faith, but to love people who are different than us, to love people who are lost, to try to understand them so that we can build a relationship with them, so that we can win them over, not to our opinion, not to our side, not to our perspective, but win them over to Jesus, that they might come to know what we know, the incredible joy of being forgiven, the incredible joy of being saved. Father, would you give each of us here that desire to come alongside you, to be on mission with you, to try to make a difference in as many people's lives as possible for your eternal kingdom's sake. In Jesus' name, amen.